Turn, please, in your Bibles. The Gospel is recorded by Luke, chapter 13. We begin reading with verse 1. There were present at that season some that told him of the Galileans, whose blood Pilate mingled with their sacrifices. And Jesus answering said unto them, Suppose ye that these Galileans were sinners above all the Galileans, because they suffered such things? I tell you nay, but except ye repent, ye shall all likewise perish. Are those eighteen upon whom the tower of Siloam fell and slew them, think ye that they were sinners above all men that dwelt in Jerusalem? I tell you, nay, but except ye repent, ye shall all likewise perish. He spake also this parable, a certain man had a fig tree and planted in his vineyard, and he came and sought fruit thereon and found none. Then said he unto the dresser of his vineyard, Behold, these three years I come seeking fruit on this fig tree, and find none, cut it down, why cumbereth it the ground? And he answering said unto him, Lord, let it alone this year also, and I will dig about it and dung it. And if it bear fruit, well, if not, then after that thou shalt cut it down. And he was teaching in one of the synagogues on the Sabbath. Here is a tremendous passage of scripture that is solemn indeed in its statement. We have in this passage a divine ultimatum, twice stated, I tell you nay, but except ye repent, ye shall all likewise perish. This is a divine ultimatum. I'll never forget the first time I preached on this text. And with this topic, God's ultimatum, repent or perish. I was pastoring a little church in Mississippi Delta. One weekend, it happened to be a weekend when there was a fifth Sunday our church was the only church that had services every Sunday in the month. Therefore, on the fifth Sunday, no other church was having services but ours. That meant that everybody in that town that went to church was going to be in church where I preached that day. On Friday night, one of the ladies of another denomination had hired a dance band from Memphis, Tennessee, come and put on a big dance in the community house of that little town. And that dance was to feature all the old-time citizens, some of which were deacons in the church where I was pastor. And I shall never forget on Saturday morning when I was in my study, I had a study in a upstairs room in a building just over the post office and everyone came to the post office to get his mail about nine or ten o'clock every day and just about nine or nine thirty they began to gather downstairs all of a sudden 
through the noise, I heard the lady who directed the choir in my church. Oh, I could have danced all night long. I said, Lord, don't let me say tomorrow what I ought not to say. I'm going to have to deal with this. And the Lord burned into my soul this message. I tell you nay, but except you repent, you shall all likewise perish. Well, Sunday morning, the place was packed. That church was built. It had an auditorium, and on either side there were Sunday school classes, and they had doors that opened, you know. And the place was packed. The choir was full. The auditorium was full. The Sunday school rooms were full. And the lady that gave that big dance was sitting just about to the third or fourth row for me, right in the center of that congregation. And I preached the message. God's ultimatum. Repent or perish. Needless to say, I had chairman of my deacons to come by to see me that Sunday afternoon. He said, there's several of the brethren would like to talk with you Sunday night after service. I said, okay. Well, we went back to church that Sunday night. It was packed again. I think they came just to see what I was going to say. And we had a good service. And after the service was over, four men who were on the board of deacons and I had a little conference. These men said to me, we observe that you're not very happy here. And we'd like to know why. Now they took them 45 minutes to ask me that question. I said, all right, if you'll answer me about two or three questions, I'll be glad to answer yours. Number one, do I preach the word of God or do I ride hobby horses? Oh, you preach the Bible. Oh, yes, sir. Yes. Oh, we know when we bring folks to this church, they're going to hear the word of God. Do you believe that I order my life in line with what I preach? Or do I preach one thing and live something else? Oh, no, no. You've been a wonderful example in our community. Well, do you think I've been too hard on folks in this community by really preaching against sin? I, I really preach sin, against sin in that church more than any other place I've ever been past. Sometimes I felt sorry for the folks. Oh, no, no, you, you don't preach too hard against sin. Well, I said, I'm not happy. And the reason I'm not happy is you folks ain't repentant. <laughs> you should have seen those men. I mean, plantation owners. One man who owned bigger part of the downtown section of town. I mean, men who were big and outstanding in the community. Folks, regardless of whether we hear or not, when God's message is proclaimed that demands a penitent spirit to respond, the word of God says, except ye repent, ye shall all likewise perish. This is God's ultimatum. 
The essential meaning of repentance is a change of mind, change of disposition, a change of viewpoint, a change of feeling. And except men change their minds against God and their minds regarding sin, their minds regarding their own selves, apart from Christ, they'll perish. Per uh, repentance, first of all, involves conviction of sin. That's a knowledge of sin. Paul the Apostle tells us, by the law is the knowledge of sin, and therefore the law must be preached, that men might realize they're sinners. Paul said, I had not known lust, except the law said, thou shalt not covet. By the law that says thou shalt not covet tells us that anything for which you lust that you should not have is sin. John chapter 16 and verses 7 to 12, the Lord Jesus Christ tells us that when the Holy Spirit comes, he will reprove the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. And then he explains what sin? Of sin that they believe not on me. Now, we have lots of young men in our congregation who are going out of the ministry. And if you're true to the word of God and preach against sin and give forth God's ultimatum with regards it, you're going to have some folks who come and say, now listen, preacher, all you need to do is to preach the Bible and exalt Christ and let the Holy Spirit do the convicting. Listen, the Holy Spirit convinces men that it's sin not to believe on Jesus Christ. The law convinces men that it's sin to have other gods. It's sin to have idols. It's sin to use God's name in vain. It's sin to desecrate God's day. It's sin to dishonor parents. It's sin to kill. It's sin to commit adultery. It's sin to steal. It's sin to lie. And it's sin to covet. You don't need the Holy Spirit for that. It's by the law we have a knowledge of sin. But they'll come to you and want you to lighten up. But repentance involves a conviction of sin. Repentance also involves contrition. This is a sorrow for sin. In 2 Corinthians chapter 7 and verse 10, the apostle says, Godly sorrow worketh repentance unto salvation, not to be repented of, but the sorrow of the world worketh wrath. You see, the sorrow of the world is remorse. A person in remorse can shed crocodile tears. He could become overwhelmed by his own sin. But that's not repentance. Godly sorrow works repentance. Sorrow that God puts in the bosom of a sinner who hears God's word. That produces repentance. And that kind of repentance is not to be repented of. Paul uses a different word there. This word means to regret. I notice some of the students in my themes class are here tonight, and you've heard it before. It won't hurt you to hear it again. We cannot shoot into this rabbit hole too much. 
godless sorrow, contrition, works repentance unto salvation, literally not to be regretted. I have never known a person who truly repented that ever regretted that he did. Repentance not only involves conviction and contrition, it involves confession. Confession is the acknowledgement of sin. It's to say about my sin what God says about my sin. The psalmist David in the psalm that was read in our hearing tonight said in verse 3, I acknowledge my transgressions and my sin is ever before me against thee. Thee only have I sinned and done this evil in thy sight that thou mightest be justified when thou speakest and be clear when thou judgest. Confession is an acknowledgement of sin. I went through my concordance and I discovered quite a number of people who acknowledged they sinned. Pharaoh said on two occasions, I have sinned. Israel said on numerous occasions, we have sinned. Balaam said, I have sinned. Achan said, I have sinned. Saul said, I have sinned. David said, I have sinned. Shimei said, I have sinned. Nehemiah said, I and my father's house have sinned. Job says, I have sinned. Daniel says, we have sinned. Micah says, I have sinned. Judas said, I have sinned. And the prodigal son said, I have sinned. And Ecclesiastes 7.20 says, There is not a just man in all the earth who doeth righteousness and sinneth not. Repentance involves an acknowledgement that I have sinned. Acknowledgement that a look of lust is a heinous sin. That a covetous spirit is a heinous sin. That any kind of defection from God's law and God's word is sin. God hates sin with a holy hatred. But you know, repentance always issues in conversion. And conversion is a turning from sin. Acts chapter 3 and verse 19, the apostle Peter speaking to the representatives of the nation Israel said, Repent and be converted, every one of you, that your sins might be forgiven. Turn from your sins. Will you hear me? No human being has ever repented that didn't turn around. Oh, some have come with tears and said, I've sinned, never turned around. But no person who truly repented can continue in the same lifestyle, in the same direction in which he was going, before he turned to God in repentance, he'll be turned around. Conversion is the evidence of true repentance, always. And do you know what conversion involves? It involves, number one, renunciation. That is, it involves the abandonment of a life of sin. Proverbs 28, 13 says, He that covereth his sin shall not prosper, 
But whoso confesseth and forsaketh them shall have mercy. Conversion then involves a renunciation and abandonment of the life of sin. It also involves repudiation. That is an abhorrent rejection of sin. When a person is converted, sin is as abhorrent to him as it is to God. That great old saint, Job, even though he was not a lost sinner, yet he had sinned against God. At the end of his trial, said unto God, I have heard of thee with the hearing of mine ear, but now mine eye seeth thee, and I abhor myself and repent in dust and ashes. An abhorrence for sin. Conversion not only involves renunciation and repudiation, but restitution. This is the acid test of repentance. Turn with me, please, just a moment for the, to the third chapter of the gospel as recorded by Luke, verses 7 and 8. John the Baptist is preaching, and remember he practiced a baptism of repentance for the remission of sins. Not the baptism for remission of sins, but repentance for the remission of sins. And in this great passage of Scripture, beginning in verse 7, we read, Then said he to the multitude that came forth to be baptized of him, O generation of vipers, who hath warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bring forth therefore fruits worthy of repentance, and begin not to say within yourselves, We have Abraham to our father, for I say unto you that God is able of these stones to raise up children to Abraham. And now also the axe is laid unto the root of the trees. Every tree therefore which bringeth not forth good fruit is hewn down and cast into the fire. And the people ask him, saying, What shall we do? And he answered and saith unto them, He that hath two coats, let him impart to him that hath none. He that hath meat, let him do likewise. Then came also publicans to be baptized, and he said unto him, Master, what shall we do? And he said, Exact no more than that which is appointed you. And the soldiers likewise demanded him, saying, What shall we do? He said, Do violence to no man, neither accuse any falsely, and be content with your wages. Maybe somebody needs to preach on that latter part for today. And so many people are discontent with their wages. You see what John the Baptist is saying? There's certain fruits that are meat, worthy of repentance. Certain things are going to take place when you really repent. And he said to that crowd, I'm not going to baptize you until you bring this evidence. You are a generation of vipers. And in line with this, there was a little fella who wanted to see Jesus one day. He was a publican. He couldn't see him for the press. So he ran out to the edge of the city and climbed up in a sycamore tree. And Jesus came by and he looked up and said, Zacchaeus, come down. I'm going to dine at your house today. And Zacchaeus came down and he said that he if he had extorted anything from anyone, 
would restore fourfold restitution. How much is fourfold? Anybody know? Is that 400%? I believe that's right. If I have taken in exacting from my people taxes beyond what I should, I will restore them fourfold. Jesus said, salvation has come to this man's house. Oh, he wasn't saved because he made that statement. He made that statement because he got saved. He got converted. A number of years ago, a man placed in my hand a book entitled The Shantung Revival. I don't know if anyone here has ever read that little book. It has to do with a sweeping revival that broke out on a mission, on mission compound in Shantung, China. And one of the stories of that revival was that a missionary who had been there for quite a number of years had gotten under conviction of the sin of having stolen a very insignificant amount of money from a person back in her hometown. And she was so moved with conviction over that sin that she figured out the interest rate on that amount, wrote a letter to the person from whom she stole the money and restored it plus interest. You see, that's the acid test of true conversion and repentance. You know, some things you can't restore. If you defile the purity of a young woman or a young man, you can't restore that purity. If you slander someone before others, you can't restore that. There are many things for which there is no restoration. But there must be an acknowledgement and a confession of that sin both to whom you have spoken in slander and about whom you have spoken in slander, and of that sin of corrupting that pure maid or that pure man. And do your dead level best to see to it that you guard the purity and guard the words that come forth from your mouth. But there are things that can be restored. And if you really repent, and get converted, you will. In the last place, conversion is characterized by reformation. That's a moral change, a moral change. Now look, a person can reform and not be saved, but a person who ever gets converted is going to reform. There's going to be a moral change in his life. Now, I'm convinced God laid this message on my heart, and I may preach on it again, because I'm just getting going with this business of repentance. I'm convinced that one of the reasons why we can have the 
scandal that has come upon Christianity in our generation is because there has not been enough preaching on genuine repentance. There's not been enough preaching on the absolute holiness of God and the fact that every sin, no matter how slight we may think it is, is repugnant to a holy God. God cannot tolerate sin. He hates it with a holy hatred. We can go through the motions of being Christians and we can engage in all kinds of Christian service. We can be, give ourselves to all kinds of Christian activity and we can look like we're children of God doing a job for God and still have an unrepentant heart. God's word is very clear. Except sinners repent, they're going to perish. And except Christians repent, they're going to suffer the judgment of God. I would to God we could see revival. It's not impossible to have revival in our day. But I want to tell you something. We have a sweeping of God among our students among the young men that go out and plant churches, and among the young men and young ladies who go out to the mission fields, among the young ladies who are going to be preachers' wives, if we are to ever have real, genuine Holy Ghost revival, there's going to have to come about in our hearts a conviction of the slightest kind of sin that will produce sorrow for sin, that will result in the confession of sin and a turning from sin, and result in the conversion Turn it around. How is it with you tonight? Have you ever come to the place in your life where you saw yourself a sinner, lost and undone, fearing that there's no hope, knowing that if you died in the condition of sin, you'd die and go straight to hell? And then have you lifted up your old sin burdened heart to God said, Oh God, I'm a sinner. Against thee, the only have I sinned and done this evil in thy sight, that thou mayest be just when thou judgest. Oh God, I don't want I don't want to die and go to hell. I want to be saved. You've never come to that place in your life. My friend, you need to tonight. Maybe you're a Christian. You've begun to let little things come into your life that bring a reproach upon the name of the Lord Jesus, on the testimony of the gospel. You thought maybe they weren't significant and you could get by with it. You could cheat or you could steal or you could lie or you could tell what people call little white lies. You can engage in lust. You can engage in petting. Just you know how far to go. You can listen to rock music. You can in, put your eyes on pornography. You can engage in all of these things. Listen, my friend, let me tell you something. If you are saved and you allowed those things to come in your life, you are hindering the cause of Christ. You are stymieing the work of the Holy Spirit in your own heart and life and you need you need to get on your face before God and say oh God I have sinned maybe we've got some students in our congregation who've turned your teachers off 
you've been indifferent towards their teaching. You have said you smug yourself. Well, I know all of that, you know. Maybe your life verse is, I know than all, more than all my teachers. You know, that's sin. These folks who have given their lives to instruct our student body in the disciplines of each division of our university done so in order that we might train young men and women to go forth from this place pressing the battle against the enemy lifting high the banner of the cross and bearing testimony that can't be gainsaid and if you don't do your dead level best you're sinning you know Dr. Jones said it's no disgrace to fail but it is a sin to do less than your best what about it we have folks here tonight that need to do some repenting why don't we do it let's pray our father I pray that the message will have been clear and plain oh help us as we have to proclaim such messages to do so with great heart compassion as well as with cogency and conviction. Lord, thou dost know the condition of heart that's in our congregation tonight, the condition of heart of believers and the condition of heart of unbelievers. And I pray that the Holy Spirit will drive home the great truth about repentance. So I pray that thou wilt move in the hearts of the folks tonight who are here who need to repent. Now before we lift up our eyes and sing, I wonder if you just right before Almighty God would say what David said in the 139th Psalm, Search me, O God, Know my heart, try me, know my ways, and see if there be any wicked way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. Lord, try my very thoughts that are in the recesses of my soul and mind. And show me anything that has been brought has brought grief to thy holy sensitive heart, and then lead me in the way of everlasting faith. Would you do that before God tonight? Father, thou dost know the response that has been given to this proposition, and I pray that it will be genuine and positive. In Jesus' name, amen.